the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. So hello and welcome to this Farm Advisory Service podcast. Uh, my name is Siobhan MacDonald and I'm here with Barbara Gervin at Corrimony Farm, which is near Drummondrochet, and uh, here to find out more about Barbara's plans for the farm. So Barbara, can you tell us a bit about yourself, where you're from, where you grew up, how you ended up here? Sure. Um, so I'm originally from the seaside village of Ardsier, which is on the Manifirth coast, east of Inverness. Um, which is about an hour from here. Uh, my mum and dad still live there. And um, so I grew up there and my mum and dad have an agricultural engineering business over there. Okay. So that's kind of my connection to farming. Yeah. Um, we didn't live on a farm. Well, we had a steading, but it was never a working farm. Well, not when we had it. And um, dad used that mainly for storage and generally accumulating motorised items and um, he, we, we did actually have cows at one point in one of the sheds and lambs one year but that was never really a long plan for, for dad so um, so they're still there and um, I actually joined Young Farmers which is how I met David and I only joined Young Farmers sort of um, because I knew a lot of people in it through going to the shows mum and dad go to you know the local agricultural shows every year with a stand and we were the you know tea and coffee servers during the day so we met a lot of other families through that and um, then I joined Young Farmers and met David and I moved here after I studied in Glasgow for a business studies degree did that went to Aberdeen for a year to study teaching as a postgrad and then I got my first teaching placement in Glenarchert Primary which is just down the road ah. and that's how I ended up here okay and what what have you got here on the farm um, so currently we have um, 1,100 Hlin and Highlander crosses sheep mm-hmm. and we've got 140 stabiliser cows which we are a multiplier for so that's kind of the big okay. deal at the moment here other than pumpkins obviously um, we have we're, because we're a multiplier we can sell breeding bulls um, through the big cattle company and we at the moment we every year we transfer embryos with top genetics from America so we didn't manage to do that last year there was a bit of a a problem with the the embryos coming into the country Um, so but this year it's all set to go so that's quite exciting again Um, and then we have pumpkins which we started two years ago uh, which is my thing and this year we planted 1500 plants we started the first year we planted just short of think it was 300 but I was trying to think about this earlier on I'm not entirely sure it was just short of 300 and last year we planted about 900 but this year we were set to plant about 2000 but between planting the seeds and getting them in the ground we're down to about <laughs> 1500 I think rough count at the moment um yeah so that's what we've got here okay and um you mentioned the pumpkins so how how did your pumpkin patch come about? What what led you to do that? Um, well, mostly my sister who lives down south had uh, she's got two children and she went to a patch down there for a day for so that would be 
four years ago, probably now. And, you know, she sent all these pictures through and she's like, you know, you guys could really do this. There's nowhere up north you can do this. It'll be dead simple. <laughs> and <laughs> I was like, yeah, it really will be dead simple. Easy. So we'd actually been looking at doing, I really wanted to do it, but I had to convince quite a few people here that it would be a good idea to do. And obviously I could just run with it, but I needed to a bit of a field and, you know, don't just get that kind of have to there has to be a reason for that so um my of the three children we've got three children and the um second child spent a bit of time in hospital down in glasgow when he was one and a half and at the time we stayed in the ronald mcdonald house which is the the facility um that houses parents from far away or children who are very extremely ill so you're just on call right next to the to the hospital and when we were there um so it costs them £40 a night to house a family in each room. That's what they tell you when you leave. And um, so, you know, we didn't, you don't, you're not asked for any money to stay there. It's entirely free of charge and it's just arranged for you. You, you, know, you arrive there and you, to be honest, it was actually the last thing you think of was where we were actually going to stay because you're not really even thinking straight. So we got that and um, when we left there, obviously Angus was, was quite well and, and good and we were like, you know, we really need to do something to raise the money to give back to, you know, pay off what we feel now like that we owe um so i was sort of like you know if we just do this as a charity like a charitable event then you know we'll just go with it and get some support and we'll raise some money and it'll be okay. enjoyable yes and it meant then that any work i put in it didn't really matter if it didn't work because it was all good intentions you know and if it didn't work out it really wasn't that big a deal so it did work out and it was really good and um, there was loads of people that said you'll never grow pumpkins up here they just don't grow here um, and I was kind of like well I'll give it a bash you know <laughs> see what happens and it did it worked I was so delighted to prove some people wrong particularly <laughs> um, and that was year one and so it was all for charity that year we raised um, just sort of £3,300 I think that year for charity which was really good and that all went back to Ronald McDonald and they were really grateful for that um, and then since then we've done another so that was year one year two last year we did it um, on a bigger scale and we still donated some of the money to them so what we did last year was we allocated all the parking money to charity and so um, we managed to give money to them and then we picked two local charities because you, whenever you do something for charity you will always get the people saying why is the money going to Glasgow? Because that's what they deem it, I suppose. Although it's not really the case because they have Highland families there too. But anyway, we've got a local charity. So now the, the idea is that every year um, Ronald McDonald will always be a beneficiary, but um, local charities also get a look in. So we're not sure exactly how we're going to do that this year yet, but there will be some competition or something maybe to choose who we do it for. That's really good. Yeah. yeah. And had you grown, have you got green fingers naturally? Are you. Um, <laughs> uh, no. So before pumpkins, I still probably struggle to keep houseplants alive. I don't know if that's a general thing. You know, I think they're quite think hard to keep alive. Does, yeah. um, but so far, so good with the pumpkins. I'm, I think the older you get, the more interested in gardening you become, possibly. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, I don't know if it's because you've got to spend more time at home in the evening because children mm -hmm. I don't know I don't know what it is but um yeah you're a bit more inclined to do things like that so I'm not green fingered at all 
um, it's all real tri- trial and error. And um, yeah. So before growing the pumpkins, did you know what they needed in terms of pH and nutrients? How did you find that information out? Um, so we never, I'd never grown a pumpkin at all. In fact, I don't even think I'd grown a courgette until we planted the pumpkins. And then the year we planted the pumpkins, we thought, I thought, well, maybe we'll grow some courgettes at the same time. Um, and they're relatively easy to grow, actually. So I kind of thought, probably quite similar. And um, the first year we pandered to them quite a lot and, you know, went down with fertiliser and um, we even tried uh, Epsom salts, actually, for them that year, reading a bit online. Uh, um, and... The difficult thing that year was we couldn't we had nothing to compare it against so they uh, yeah so that was like that year last year I felt like we probably needed trial a wee bit more and that we like had two different kind of fertilizers that we used and we I wrote down their NPK values on the electric fence post at the end of the aisle that I was using to mark varieties Um the only thing with that was so I wrote down all that data but then when it came to harvesting we actually harvested them in a bit of a hurry last year because we got a frost really early on and we were trying last year to leave them out as long as possible and I didn't quite believe that the frost would come and it did and then it was like oh right we better just get them in and so we did that and when we harvested them all we didn't write down you know this trailer load that came in was from this aisle and that aisle and so then when we lost pumpkins between then and actually selling them we weren't actually sure which ones were from which aisle, which variety with what fertiliser. Yeah. Um, and I also, this year, what we, we've changed, what we're doing this year to try and sort of analyse them, you could say, is that on the 23rd, so on the 23rd of this month, I've been over and I've done like an observation, I suppose you could call it. Yeah. Um, and... I grade them all, so I just by aisle and varieties. So I've, I know what varieties in each spreadsheet, really good spreadsheet, and um, I know what what is in each row. And then I'm writing down, you know, they get kind of like a code as to how well they're doing, okay, and how many are missing, and what size they are, and so um, you know, once we transplanted them, they really they get they got shocked. That's kind of typically what happens. And how did you choose where to plant them, what field to plant them in? Um, so the very first year it was just what was, um, well, the easiest place to put them was in the same field as the sweats that mm-hmm. David's planting. So that was just along the front of the house, which was really easy to access for me, which was good when the kids were tiny because you just went over the hall and, and along. And you could go out, you know, after dinner and just have a wee walk along. But then last year we moved them to an area that was just more accessible for the event. So the first year we had everything in the steading, which proved to be quite difficult in terms of um, organisation, particularly in the run-up to it, because, you know, the steading was still getting used for normal farm business. And even, you know, feeding had kind of started by then and uh, David was needing in there first thing in the morning before I couldn't shut things off for, for the event. So um, we moved it over to um, a field that's actually would have been the car garden for the old Coromone house which burned down um, years and years ago So and so it's nice and flat and that was nice for watering if I ever did water and um, 
but we've since moved it again because you actually have to rotate them anyway so we had we'd fenced that off last year and we were thinking we would rotate it within the fenced area but oh, i suppose you learn every year you know feedback as well from customers um that we really needed a better car park last year's car park was fine and people were people embraced it actually it got really muddy and we never pulled anyone out by tractor the, the tractor was there but we never had to pull anyone out but they totally embraced it which was really good because we were worried that you know so this year we've moved it over to Buntate the second farm which is on the other hill and it's got a steading that's not really used very much it houses bulls at some time in the year but um apart from that there's not really much goes on over there and it's got a lot of hardcore that we could use for car parking possibly a one-way system and um we also wanted to, i mean we don't necessarily need to grow them over there but I, we needed a patch visible to where people are picking them because mm-hmm. you you always get customers who wonder did you actually grow them here and i think without having the patch there they don't believe you okay so you take that you take you take the pumpkins out of the field and yes. then you place them in the patch so that people aren't going into your field and yeah. muddying it and yeah. wrecking growing plants so what will happen is um we actually have to harvest them all inside we'll have to do that in september okay and um we had planned to buy a very big polytunnel to store them in mm-hmm. this year um but there was a couple of reasons we didn't do that. One of them was, if we buy it and put it up, and we put it up in the wrong place, and then we decide, oh, it really needs to go there. It's going to be such a pain in the neck. And if we have, we do have storage facilities over there. It's just that they're not, um, they don't let in light. So yeah. I, I think that will be an issue. We'll just have to wait and see what happens this year. But we'll be able to harvest them all into the sheds at Buntate, and then they'll get taken from the sheds out onto the patch in, t- in time for picking so each session what we normally do is we keep back a certain um, number of each variety so that every session are getting like a white one to choose from or whatever you don't want all the white ones to go in session one you know because they do follow them growing and then they're like where's all the white ones you grew you know so yeah so I, I came along to your day the, fir- the first opening day I think it was last year and with my neighbours and kids and uh, the kids absolutely loved it, they had a brilliant time and there was lot, you had lots of other things in place as well as the pumpkins so um, how did you decide on, on what other facilities to provide for folk? Well I suppose the first year we it was kind of a lot smaller, my, my dad had made a train using um, 40 gallon drums and um, I think people who generally make these sorts of things tow them using a quad bike but he's got this really old lawnmower uh, kind of tractor thing that he's he's really um, you know it's quite a special thing for him so he was keen to have this at the pumpkins and it's kind of become a thing now it's the pumpkin train and um, that was sort of the first thing that we thought because originally we'd kind of just thought about the picking and that was it but people love all that sort of extra stuff so and it is a really nice day out so we just you know I do a lot of online googling you know looking at especially places in America that have um pumpkin patches because um I have an auntie who stays upstate New York and when we were younger when we went on holiday there in October we would go to the pumpkin patch you know Mm -hmm. Uh, it's quite a big deal and all the Halloween shops and things so you know there's a lot of things she sends pictures over of stuff that she sees as well and we got a 
few bits of paraphernalia from America this year that had been posted over but um, it's mainly looking at what other people do and copying ideas I suppose and making them our own um, this year we're going to try and make it a little bit more um, adaptable for older children and adults okay. Partic- particularly older children um, and possibly an evening for adults that's kind of the thought um, maybe a night where we can have cocktails or something perhaps gin based gin based yes I had gin and there was a, we had Highland Hog Roast serving food last year and we also had um, Kila Creed which is a wee cafe outside of the village of Drumnadrocket and um, it was brilliant because they did pumpkin munchkin donuts and they were just lovely good and before before that your sort of very first day of inviting the public onto the farm um, what what were there any sort of unexpected obstacles that you came across or things that you had to sort out last minute the first day two years ago was actually our first snowfall of the year and it came that night and I couldn't believe it you believe it you you we woke up and it was just white and I thought <laughs> oh so and again credit to the general public because I really thought that would put people off but it didn't you know they came with their wellies and their jackets and quite happy so it just shows you that it is you know it's not too difficult to get people in the Highlands to do, yeah. to come to something like this. It's just... Mm. I think it's probably because you had lots of add-ons as well. It was like, it was a full yeah. you know, afternoon out for people. Yeah. There was lots to do and mm-hmm. kids running about and happy and that's as anything. the thing, isn't it? It's the, that's the gap I think we have up here is that, you know, you kind of, we're kind of aiming for a space where, you know, we don't have this opportunity up here. There's not a lot of places. There's not a lot to do with children in the islands, apart from all your free walks and things like that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there are soft plays and various things, but um, in terms of farming and rural, it's not quite there yet up here. So it's good to be able to... I'd like to be able to take to sort of take people onto the farm more and sort of help them to understand where their food would come from. And this, I suppose, is a start to that because... You know, I suppose people see pumpkins as totally separate to agriculture, but there is an opportunity to, you know, for people to learn just by visiting the farm yes. and the place that we are. And I think it's good because it means they can see what farming truly is like mm-hmm. in the Highlands, particularly of Scotland. And it's not all about um, big, heavy plant machinery. And you know, um, it's good for people to see. Yes, absolutely, yeah. and see how pumpkins grow and. Yeah all the other livestock around about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So have you got plans for expansion? So this year we we're obviously doing more than what we did last year. Um and oh, I've got a few other ideas that I'd quite like to do but you know kind of up against it with um persuading the boss <laughs> <laughs> to to commit. So I <laughs> I've been pleasantly surprised actually at how it has been embraced. You know, David and his dad and his mum and everybody, they're actually really good at, you know, um, embracing technological changes and um, new things in farming. They're really not the sort of farmers that say this is how it's always been done, so that's the way we do it. Um, But this is not like a farming thing. This is like a totally new, crazy idea. 
So um, it's taken a while, but David actually did say to me during last year's pumpkin picking that he quite enjoyed himself, Ooh. which was quite a big deal, yes. actually, because he doesn't really say stuff like that. Did you record it? <laughs> I should have. <laughs> I should have. Um, but yeah, so I'm not sure he would have been saying that on his birthday this year when I was making him help me plant the plants, though. But um, but yeah, they have embraced it. And his dad has been really interested in it, too, because he's actually a really avid gardener. And he was one of the people that said, you'll now grow pumpkins here. <laughs> and then admitted quite you know, freely that he was wrong. <laughs> And it is the same every, um, you know, at the end of the summer when these plants are are growing up and you see nothing and it's just green, just green, just green. And then you go in one day and there's just like, oh, there's a pumpkin and there's another one. And you're like, everyone's walking through them just spotting pumpkins. And it's, it's he even he gets excited about yeah. it, you know, uh, it's quite nice. Um, so I think we get to a stage where we do enough that we can cope with, that we can sell tickets to and that it doesn't get overcrowded because that is one of the things that have come back over the you know last few years with feedback is that people enjoy it because it's not mad busy mm -hmm. and what we don't want to do is get too big and end up with parking problems or you know traffic management issues or things like that we just want it to be fun for everybody even the people that are running it mm -hmm. um so yeah we'll see we'll see how this year goes whether or not we would kind of originally thought the 2000 this year we might cap it at that but then yeah we'll see <laughs> <laughs> and and what's stopping you with your other plans that you've got then well so this year um i have also did i tell you about the sunflowers no i didn't no. so i i've also planted sunflowers in the patch at Cordomoni, which is the second patch and that was a trial um that <laughs> It all came from a trip to Memphis with the rural leaders oh, okay. um, and we studied a bit of design thinking which essentially is um, taking a problem and thinking of loads of ideas about how you can come up with a solution to that and yeah. then kind of working through those um, ideas to then kind of develop your business. So... Um, you kind of, when we were in Memphis, we had to think of this problem that your business has and then ideate and, you know, come up with ideas. And, okay. Um, <clears throat> although, I guess, I kind of really just wanted to grow sunflowers. So my problem was, we don't have sunflower patch here. And in America, sunflowers are a big deal for, like, engagement photography. You know, like oh, an engagement really? photo uh -huh. shoot. It's becoming yeah. a bigger thing here now. Okay. So people would go and to this patch and get pictures taken. Sounds a bit mad, really, but people love it. So I was thinking, my original problem was, how do you make the pumpkin patch a business all year round? Because we've got this opportunity in October, which starts by planting in May, say, and it takes up that field until October. You can't do anything else with that field. And then even after October, it's a write-off, really, with what you can do agriculturally with that field. So can we you know make more use of this space plant some other things in it and actually have visitors over m more of the year rather than just the two weeks or one week in October so the sunflowers was the the answer and um we planted them this year planted some 
the week before we planted the pumpkins at Coromone. Um, the night before we planted pumpkins, we did some spraying. Uh-huh. Okay. And it was David that did that. And he didn't realise that I'd planted pump the sunflowers. <laughs> so when we went to plant pumpkins, we went into the fields and I was like, Oh my goodness, look at the sunflowers. They had germinated. And I was like, that one's huge. And he's like, Oh, oh are they sunflowers? Oh. And I was like, Yeah. If I'm really amazed. That's really good. They've all come up. And you know, alongside where I was having this wee competition with one of the other rural leaders down south, he had planted some at the same time. And I'm like, I'm winning. Definitely winning here. <laughs> and then David said, well, you might not be winning next week because I actually sprayed them last night <laughs> when I sprayed the patch. So um, we then had to go and plant them again. So they've all germinated now. And we actually... We would have planted the second batch anyway, but it's just a shame that the first batch aren't... Uh, you aren't winning the competition. We're not, no. Yeah. Well, his actually got eaten by rabbits in the end, so oh. technically it's I am fine. winning. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I've planted them now. We've planted them in rows. Uh, like, at the end of the patch, we've planted a kind of patch of sunflowers in rows. And, again, that's something that I haven't done an awful lot of research into because I believe that sunflowers grow like trees mm-hmm. in that if there's one... I, I worry about the wind... Um, which is why I've not planted them up a bunch because I just don't think they'll, they'll do well up there but where I've planted them isn't necessarily that sheltered um, at Coromone and um, they grow like the wind so uh, they grow, sorry, they grow like trees <laughs> so um, the roots if it's by itself the root form, it will put more energy into growing the roots than it will the height Okay. Um, but if there are lots of them round about, the problem would be that they all just get a bit too weak so we'll see how they go okay. um, but that's a bit of an exciting one for me because I'd really like to grow cut flowers that's what I'd like to do um, <laughs> excuse me that kind it's of just, it's just like it's just like farming today <laughs> isn't like it today. <laughs> um, so yeah I'd, I'd quite like to grow cut flowers yes um, tulips is something that I'd be really interested in growing but again I don't know weather wise um, if that is possible the polytunnel may well be the answer to that mm-hmm. and um but again we need a few more years and of experience and possibly the children to be slightly older before i go delving into something quite so big i wouldn't be on a massive scale whatever we did but mm-hmm. i would quite like to grow cut flowers alongside and have that as a sideline yeah having mm-hmm. local cut flowers yes, uh-huh. yeah a bit more sustainable mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and i think possibly something that people would like to see you know if they were coming to visit and it's yeah. all you know again they they would, might not think of cut flowers as agriculture but it is yeah absolutely plants, so. yeah and it's something you don't see here in the UK and I think it's something we well maybe not 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 up north anyway but it's yeah. something yeah. that did used to grow north yes. of north of um, the Black Isle there was yes. two growers and not anymore though no. right no. used to grow daffodils on US yeah yeah why See that's quite cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the that's the plan. And any other big ideas? So sunflowers, cut flowers? Um I like to think of things just to really, you know, drop them in here and there over the years. You know, you've got to plant the seeds, so to speak. Pardon the pun. Uh, but you plant the seeds and you know, maybe in a few years I'll manage to work work it out. Um 
We've talked a lot over the last while about tourism and whether it would be something that we'd like to to do. David's mum and dad have a couple of holiday homes that um, that they rent out, but we don't really have anything to do with that. And lockdown has actually made me think it probably would be quite nice, but then that's because we have nowhere else to be and nowhere else to go. And we think, well, you know, if you did have visitors here, it wouldn't really be that big a deal giving up my Saturdays to clean because we have nowhere else to be. But quite rightly, David is uh, not highly positive about doing tourism in that it's the commitment and time that it takes to turn over properties, which I do agree with. And any of my rural leader friends with um, tourism business do say you really need to commit yourself to it if you're going to do it. It's not just a really bit of fun. So um, I think we're good just with pumpkins and he's got his cows and sheep and we'll go with that for now. <laughs> 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 That's great. Um, you were a rural leader a couple of years ago. Did that experience help you with setting up new enterprises here? Um, or, or with the farm in general? I think it really has. I mean, it's um, if you'd asked me before I went on it, I wouldn't have... Uh, I wouldn't have expected to have gotten so much out of it. And there's a lot that I think you get out of it that you don't really realise that's where it come, it's come from. Um, so I did the Rural Leaders course. Uh, that was... was that, what are we now? So <laughs> We're mostly in 2020. <laughs> so that was 2018-2019. That was and then I did Pumpkins again in October last year and then after that I went on a rural leaders learning journey to Memphis which I mentioned earlier um, on the back of having qualified as a rural leader um, and quite honestly I did the rural leaders course made lots of really good new friends and networked across the country and um, they talk about this imposter syndrome where you know <laughs> you can't quite believe you are doing what you're doing or whatever uh, and that never goes away it doesn't, I don't think, yeah, I don't think it ever goes away. It, maybe it does when you get so far up, but. Um, so when I applied to go to Memphis, I really didn't think I would get in, and I did. And it was quite exciting, because, you know, being a mum of three, having never been abroad, really, over the last seven years, yes. probably, yeah. um, it was a, like a wee holiday. And I met so many, you know, really interesting people on that trip. and. Um, the design thinking aspect of that trip in the University of Memphis was really interesting, you know, it really was and we went to some very interesting places when we were there and um, it's just given me the confidence to do I suppose stuff in the community as well and contacting understanding government I suppose was mm -hmm. a big deal uh, yeah. that I didn't think I would get I, I don't suppose I really expected to get that out of it but I did and um, from the original from the original leaders, rural leaders mm -hmm. yeah and on the back of that um, with the whole pandemic I've now been able to be more confident about lobbying government about certain issues that affect my family or the community or women perhaps <laughs> particularly women actually um, and and it's been really good and actually it's been really positive because I've had responses to the um, the emails the letters that I've sent and um, I'm quite understanding as well so it kind of gives you a bit more of a confidence boost that you you know they do understand where you're coming from and it actually puts in perspective a little bit more about um voting right because mm -hmm. before I used to vote anyway because you'd do that because you know people died to get women the vote yes so you vote 
But I didn't, and I always voted. I was looked into who I was voting for and everything like that. But that was it. That was where it stopped. Okay. Didn't really think anything more of it after that as such. Whereas now, I'm very much of the thing, you know, you vote these people in, they're there to do a job on the behalf of the people of Scotland. So therefore, you need to tell them when you need them to do something for you. You can't really moan if you're not willing to do that. So it has given me the the, the confidence, I think, for that. And yeah, it was really good. I would recommend if anyone is planning going on something like that, I think it, it's really, really valuable to anyone with a small business or large business even. And even the networking that you get on the back of that, the people that you meet and now are able to fall back on when you have, you know, the, the rural leaders course is now finished, but you know, I still have, you know, the WhatsApp groups that, yes, yeah, sometimes are social chats, but very often it's the first place you go if you're looking for advice or help on something, you know, there's always going to be someone in there that knows the answer. Yes. Um, so it's really useful and yeah, highly recommend it. That's good. Yep. So a wee while ago on Facebook I noticed you'd put up some videos, you'd shot, shot yourself <laughs> and, uh, and put up some videos on Facebook of, of just growing the, the pumpkins. Um, how hard was that to do? Did you enjoy the experience of putting yourself out there? Um, it was quite difficult actually. I had to order myself a selfie stick and I haven't used it yet but I've got one now so that should uh, alleviate the problem of having short arms but <laughs> um, do you know once you've done the first one it's fine because um, you kind of just get over it really. The thought that people are sort of ju maybe judging you that's maybe what people think you think oh I'm going to put this on and people are going to judge me but actually I suppose you just have to bite the bullet and people who are watching don't have you know they don't pick out all your faults that's not what no. they do you know and you know when you're watching someone else you don't do that so yeah. I guess I thought you know we'll we'll do it and see and if if I don't like it then we'll scrap that idea but I think it's really something I need to do because I think it's really important that we have the engagement with the Facebook page and the Instagram page but tomorrow they will do silage in the field that the pumpkins are in so that's something to watch you know yes. so you can see mm -hmm. a bit of um, understanding of where things are and so that should be quite exciting um, and yeah I think linking it into other things that we do is definitely something we need to do to have to get people to understand how the whole farm operates and what we've got here yeah yeah um it's difficult to try and encourage other members though of the, <laughs> of the business to kind of get on board with that i, I was going to make a video for lambing uh -huh, a lockdown yeah. i did a lockdown video for the children right for the first three weeks to music have nothing better to do with my time so that's what I did and it was quite nice yeah so I thought we'll do one for lambing so I said to them all if you could whatsapp me any photos that you've got of, your, of yourself so they take loads of photos these boys they're all over Instagram at night time right and I'm like if you could just send me them I'll put them in a video and it'll be really nice marketing for the farm and I said they, they sent me all these pictures too and I was like there's none with you in them you need I need some selfies but they weren't keen so I didn't actually make that video yet because I thought, do you know, we do need to see the people behind yes, it's more the farm. Actually, mm -hmm. it is. And that's what makes the connection with the public. Yes. Yeah, I think yeah. it is. So, so yeah, watch this space. We might do some promotional videos yet. 
<laughs> yeah. And um, because of your your teaching skills as well, I think you'd be a natural at, at uh, explaining what's going on and putting it into mm. language that the folk will understand. Maybe. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, possibly. We actually had some children come up to plant last year oh, on the 31st of May, which was our last frost, because they planted all the plants that day. And I had to go out and cover them all at night <laughs> um, on the 31st of May. And it, it was nice, actually, to have school up. And I kind of thought at that point, that was another sort of idea that I had in the past for some of these other wee... Um, buildings was like a rural classroom to have people come onto the farm and learn um, but again it's something that um, it, it's just too difficult to do actually with where we are we don't have enough people round about yeah. to have a permanent structure set aside for that, we use a marquee that my mum and dad provided with us uh, last year and the kids came up just from the local school and they had a great time um, but that was, you know, quite special because it was a local school. I can't see us being able to do that for many others. Um, it'd be nice. Yeah. But maybe not practical. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is, it is difficult and all the sort of regulations that you have yeah. to follow, etc. Yeah. makes it tricky too. I think the cost of transport is a big deal for schools as well. So to actually get here, I know there are schools in town particularly that would love and I like an opportunity to come and plant and learn about them. We did a lot of like learning about where your food comes from as part of that. It wasn't just planting the pumpkins. We sat in the tent and we learned about where the food comes from and, um, and they were really good. Um, but the transport's just too expensive for town schools to come out here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So we're about, what are we, 45 minutes from Inverness? Yes. Yeah, 45 minutes to someone who isn't familiar with the road, I would say, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so it started to rain, so we've moved into the kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was going to ask you about women in agriculture Mm -hmm. and what you thought of women in agriculture events and courses. Yeah, so um, at the beginning, when the whole kind of women in agriculture thing came out, it was quite a hot topic conversation during rural leaders actually and um, my initial thing was I didn't really think there was a need for these separate meetings but actually my opinion has definitely changed this year because I so I've attended what I attended a lambing course at the start of the year and then I've since um, attended two online sessions one was a nutrition one and I've also done a fertiliser one Um, and just they've all been really good I I think the obviously the two online ones I guess they could have been run for anyone because although all the presenters were women um, you you didn't get the networking side of things but they were really informative and actually in terms of women in agriculture who generally speaking will be the uh, primary caregivers, children. It was actually really good to be able to have done those online and still be in your house in the evening. You know, David was actually out working at that point. You know, quite busy calving time at that time, and I was still able to go to that and learn what I needed to learn. But he was still out working, so it was actually perfect those ones. And then the lambing course was really good too. I didn't think I would enjoy it quite as much as I did. Okay. Um, learned, I learned lots, and it was nice just speaking to other women in the same position as I am and um, 
yeah, it was just, yeah, I was pleasantly surprised actually with that one. And so yeah, I would, I would go back, definitely go back. It wouldn't put me off because it was Women in Agriculture Night. Um, and it's a good place to go to, you know, find common ground, I think, I suppose. Yeah, they were good. The lambing one was really good. And I know a lot of people that were on it. And I actually, there was people on that there that I, I knew before obviously going to that meeting, but I just didn't expect to see them there, I suppose. Okay. Um, so that was quite nice because caught up with people that you haven't seen for for years and yeah they're good I'd recommend them good good mm-hmm. trainers I think yes the yes. trainers were exceptional exceptional, <laughs> exceptional. <laughs> well thank you very much Barbara it's been really interesting learning about the pumpkins and um, how you set it up and why and uh, I hope that other women will be equally inspired and come along to Women in Agriculture meetings. Thank you very much for coming. It's been lovely to speak to you. I hope I've been inspirational. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you.